Hey gang, welcome to episode 113 of the No Proscenium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from Los Angeles. Today on the show, we have Kevin Williams, who is the co-chair of the Future of Immersive Leisure Conference, which is happening in Las Vegas this September why it's practically here. It's almost around the corner. Um, he's our primary guest on the show today, and uh, we've got uh, we've got some other drop-ins happening. Um, so let's get down into it, shall we? And let's start with the thing we always start with, which is uh, a shout out to our Patreon backers. This show is made possible. All the, fi- the financial support for this show, indeed, for the entire insane No Persinium uh, venture is, is it a venture? It's an adventure, but is it a venture? Well, I don't know. We're still losing money, so I guess it's not, um, unofficial charity that is no proscenium. Uh, and, uh, all the backing for that comes from Patreon, patreon.com slash no proscenium. As always, the sustaining backer is Ross Sigworth, who, because he's doing that, gets to have his name on every single episode of the show. Um, and this week we are joined by Kit Steinkellner, who has jumped into the fray. Uh, we've got, um, we've got a, a $450, um, goal sitting in front of us here. Uh, on ye old Patreon right now, and uh, gosh darn it, I sure would like to clear that. But there's something even more I'd I'd like to clear. We're about we're about ninety dollars away from that goal, but even more, we're at seventy nine patrons right now, and that means we are uh, twenty one away from having a hundred backers. I would really like to see a hundred backers, even if it's just a dollar. It's just, it's just nice to know that people are are putting their, their money where their mouth is. And I know that there are folks, plenty of folks doing exactly that. And there are even more folks who are listening to the show. So if you haven't thought about it before, if you think about it uh, now, a dollar a month is 12 bucks uh, a year, 12 bucks a year. Is this worth that to you? Uh, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe it's nothing. Um, I'm like, if I was in your shoes, <laughs> but, but, but you're not, I'm, I'm in these shoes. Actually, I'm not even wearing shoes right now. Just to be perfectly honest, I'm not wearing shoes. All right, let's jump into the first segment of the show. We have our friends, uh, David and Lisa Spira of Room Escape Artist. I <laughs> I'm doing this extemporaneously. I'm not reading today. So I just was like, blah, blank. I was like, you know. It's like, oh, I got their names right. It's like, yes, you did. You, you know their names, you moron. It's like, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. Never become my friend is what I'm, I'm saying to you right now. Like, this relationship we have right now, this is the one you want. Um, anyway, um, David and Lisa Spira, who are the loveliest people, and I was so glad to get to meet them back in June here in Los Angeles. 
and uh, we're checking in with them. David is also one of our co-moderators over at Everything Immersive, which is the Facebook group, which has like over 1,700 people now, um, which just keeps growing. We started in May, so I fully expect it to have a billion people by the end of the year. That's how Facebook works, right? Just exponential growth. A billion. Um, anyway, we check in with David and Lisa on the state of uh, the escape room world. Uh, let's just roll that tape. David and Lisa, it's kind of, uh, it's it's well after dark for you. It's only mildly after dark for me right now, but thanks for staying up late to talk with us. Uh, we're happy to. All right. It's going to be a pretty mellow start to the show here. I wanted to check in with you guys. Uh, well, first up, you, you yourselves have an event that uh, you're putting together. So why don't you, why don't you tell the assembled about, about that? We are putting together an event we've called Escape Immerse Explore New York City 2017. And it is an escape room and immersive entertainment tour of New York. We feel that there are many wonderful escape rooms and other types of immersive entertainment here, and we wanted to be able to share that. It's going to happen on November 3rd and 4th. It's a Friday evening and then all day Saturday. We have two different levels of tickets. Um, base is if you you can uh, navigate around the city yourselves. We'll book everything for you, make sure the games flow properly, get you into teams that will work for you, and make sure that you are have everything you need to go on your way. If you want to be a little bit um, more pampered, you can sign up for the VIP <laughs> tickets and we will, one of us will take you around uh, from place to place and make sure that you don't have to think about a thing. Oh, wow. You can have a mindless we'll adventure a in New York. Um, so that you can let us know what you like about escape rooms and immersive entertainment so that we make sure that your track takes you to the um, events that you'll like best. So you're packing in like more than one layer of event, I guess, as part of this. Yeah, we're taking people out to uh, the Ready or Red. Um, people are really confused about the name, but it's it's an amazing experience. Um, and so that's going to be the Friday night activity. Then uh, I think Saturday. the way to think of that is like Red E. Yeah. Right? Like that seems to be the, the trick I keep using. Yes, indeed. So then... That's Friday night, and then all day Saturday we'll uh, we'll have people play in escape rooms. At least five. Um, we'll start off with a kind of networking event, and uh, we're going to give a little talk and and get people into games, get them meeting their teams, and sending them on their way. That sounds like the ultimate weekend for someone who is into immersive games and uh, can make their way out to or are in New York. So are, are you kind of thinking this is for people who who don't get to drop into New York all that often? Is it for folks who are like just outside the city? Who's who's your target demographic here? So far, most of the people who've been interested are people who live outside of the city. And um, that's kind of what we were expecting. We had been getting a lot of emails from folks um, over the last few years looking for recommendations and pretty much looking for recommendations in Times Square because they were a little afraid to navigate the city. So we figured we'd... I'd be more afraid to navigate Times Square. <laughs> that's a good point. That's, that's <laughs> kind of the, the local versus uh, t tourist vibe. But 
you yeah. know, we realized that there was a market for this. So, um, you know, we're, we're running a small pilot test and see how it goes. And if it does, then we'll, we'll consider uh, running more exotic tours in the future. But this is, and of is... course, also for anyone who is local, who hasn't played a whole lot of escape rooms, maybe, and would rather somebody else book them into ones that they would really like and mm. would like to meet people coming in from out of town who love the, to do this stuff. Yeah, the people who are coming so far seem like they're fantastic, and we're just really excited to host everybody. So you've got the two tiers. You've got the basic and the VIP experience, and you've got people signing up already. What's uh, what's this running? What's the price range here? So it's three ninety nine for the base level and five forty nine for the VIP level. No additional fees or anything like that. But you do have to book your own transportation to and from the city and your own hotel. However, we do have. Uh, hotel blocks at two different hotels at different price ranges and distances from the start point to help people out. And we are, of course, available to help our guests sort out their accommodations. That's not too bad. But how many people, what's like the max? Like how many people are you able to like absorb on this? Uh, We're going to cap it at about 30, we think. Okay. Yeah. That's not that's 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 pretty good. And for like a day, like five games on the Saturday and ready, and I mean that's that's a lot of of stuff to get through in a weekend. I mean, that's a, that's that's a pretty good all all inclusive smorgasbord. Smorgasbord? Uh, I can't even talk right now. <laughs> <laughs> My vocal circuits are broken. Um, all right. Well, speaking of rooms, and, and maybe I mean I don't know if it's gonna be one of the ones in this list, but but what's been because you guys are prolific when it comes to checking out escape rooms. So I want to know two things. One, what's the best room you've seen locally in New York in like the past six months, and then for like the past year, what's been your like top room, or or any room you're like really hot on right now. Okay, well, first of all, thank you for calling us prolific instead of crazy. That was really kind of you. Well, you know, I have I have a a thesaurus right here. So (laughs) I I found found good words as opposed to bad ones. (laughs) Uh, In in New York, there are two that we're just incredibly into right now. Um, The first is Maze of Hakina at Komnata Quest. And the second is uh, the Clock Tower at Escape the Room. Uh, Both are very different games and just really really cool what's what's a hakina is like a is like a dark goddess or something or or what a japanese one yeah it's, oh it's basically it plays like a it's a labyrinth it's a japanese themed labyrinth it's a little bit dark um leans more heavily towards the immersive side of escape rooms and it feels it feels like a video game was kind of turned into a real life it's Ooh. incredibly cool you actually like... do sort of navigate your way through the maze, and it plays some tricks on you. Oh my goodness, is it is it kind of Zelda like in in that way, or like what kind of video game? Because there's a lot of different kinds of video games, but like it, a, a labyrinth makes me think of Zelda instantly. It's, it's a little Zelda like. It's it's pulling from a number of different games. It's it's one of those ones that's kind of tough to talk about without spoiling it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is it's so video gamey. My inner ten-year-old was just going nuts when I was playing it. Now, is this one that 
someone bought off a shelf somewhere or is this an original design from the company that's that's putting it out there the, Do you know it, the company um, is Komnata Quest and they are a Russian company um, and they mm. have locations they have multiple locations in New York and they have one location in I want to say San Antonio um, and a whole bunch in Eastern Europe and yeah and a whole bunch in Eastern Europe so it is Komnata Quest's game um, but uh, it is not I guess it wasn't originated in the US Right. But it might be the first instance of it here. I'm mostly just trying to think of like, because we get that phenomenon of games being um, imported. And then some games are like built from the ground up. And then, of course, as we've, I think, talked in the past, sometimes games are like imported and they they have different names. And so people will like go and like, oh, this one. But that one sounds pretty unique. Yeah, Um, this one is unique. To the best of our knowledge, um, there is nothing else even remotely like it at the moment in the states certainly haven't heard of anything else like it well hopefully they'll keep that name in eastern europe you could possibly have played it but it would have been named with its name maybe in right in russian well yeah in russian (laughs) but like yes (laughs) but that's that's good like i like i like that consistency of you know oh yeah this room i've I've been to that room so because we never want that disappointment to happen to anyone so that's that is the two in New York. What about what about out there in in the big wide world? What caught your uh, what caught your eye? So in the big wide world, I have been kind of in love with this game that we played outside of Amsterdam called the Girls Room. It was in this small farming town, like fifty kilometers outside of Amsterdam. We had to go way out of our way to get to it, and it just kind of blew my mind. I was really scared. <laughs> what, what, were you scared because you were out on a weird farm or because of the room or both? No, because this room manages to create a horror experience without any actors. The room does it all and it is incredibly scary and really intense. It felt like there were actors in the room, it, but it was really just the tech and the timing and just, and the space. Yeah, the space and the, the obnoxiously detailed design. Ooh. And they did things so, with this game that you could probably would never see in the United States. Just just for like legal reasons or Yeah, there was there was a lot of climbing. <laughs> um Oh yeah. There were there was some substantial machinery. Yeah. It was just incredibly cool. Oh wow. What how did how did such a thing exist like out 50 miles from anywhere? Like what's the story there? They are actually the first escape room company in the Netherlands. Oh, wow. Um, I'm not sure about the rest of the story. Yeah. They... It was in this like kind of creative space. There was a band practice space there. It, I got mm. the impression there was just a lot of interesting and creative things going on in this building. I imagine it must be really low rent. And they just have this huge space. They also had this incredible lobby filled with, with uh, retro video games and the pool table and air hockey. Air hockey and paying for your ticket also came with like access to their snack bar. You could get like a few, like you could just pick up whatever you wanted as long as you you wrote down what you what you grabbed and didn't exceed some number. It was all on the house. Um, oh wow! It was this like incredibly friendly 
fun environment and then you step into their games and they're like we are going to mess with your mind (laughs) (laughs) oh the jekyll and hyde effect yeah um let's let's shift into the last part of our little check-in here uh, which is probably like a rather large question for what's going to be like, uh, oh, give me a two minute breakdown, but what's sort of like your, your, what's the pulse here on the, the escape room scene? Uh, you know, even, even globally, like what's your sort of prognosis for the, the, the rest of the year in escape room? Is there, are we going strong? Are we going to see some backpedaling? Is there, are there any trends we should, you know, be on the lookout for here? Is there consolidation going on with some of the, the, the corporations uh, moving in? What's, what's the story? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so look for it all. There you yeah. go. That was simple. Yeah, yeah. I was budgeted like two minutes. Figure we go for five, but yes is good. So, yeah, yes. Um, the industry is still definitely growing. We have over two thousand escape room companies in the U.S. right now, or escape room locations, company locations. Okay. So that's more than just games, but that's like facilities where you can go to to play an escape room. That number continues to grow faster than it does shrink. Although we are starting to take some companies off of our directory, um, there are some closures and some consolidation, but it's still growing faster than anything else. Yeah. Earlier, actually, I guess it was last month at this point, we published our industry growth stats. So that's all up on our site right now. We're still in that period of exponential growth. And what we've seen in other countries is that there's the slow initial growth followed by the exponential growth, which is where we're at. And then there is a drop off. Um, it's varied in size from country to country. Um, I'm of the opinion that we won't see like a giant U.S. drop off. I think what we will see are regional drop offs because mm-hmm. the the markets, you know, the, the U.S. market isn't really a cohesive entity. Um, it's just a convenient one for us to be measuring. But really what we've been seeing is, is, is pockets of activity. And I, I suspect that different markets will have different saturation points. Um, and Where do you think the, the, your... the next target, uh, sorry, just to, to dig in there for a second. What target area do you think is going to be the one, like where's, where's the hot growth right now? Um, sorry, I, I couldn't hear you there. Oh, like what's, what's the hot growth right now? Which, which market in the U.S. is sort of the hottest? That's really hard to say. Um, I don't know. We were just in Minneapolis, which had ex- had exploded really recently. Yeah, they, um, they might be the, one of the biggest explos- explosive markets right now. Um, Boston is seeing some. It's, it's cooled off a little bit in New York City, um, which is the market that we know most intimately. Um, I think some of that is just that it's, damn hard to even find a place to rent um some of the companies that have opened here it took them two years to find a lease in the city that they could work with yeah but i think when i think about just putting companies into our directory i mean it's all over the country it's in it feels so random who who submits themselves as a new company who readers tell us has opened as a new company um they're everywhere yeah. And to your, your, the other part of your question earlier about um, acquisitions and mergers, 
Um, there are definitely some some larger corporate players that are starting to emerge. Um, there, you know, no one is anywhere near approaching dominance at this point. We are seeing some small players looking to sell off, and some others who are trying to get bigger by acquiring. Um, the sense that I've had is that some of these companies who are doing the acquisitions have done their homework and are buying good facilities that they can work with, and. Some aren't doing enough homework and they're mm. ending up buying some duds and going in and realizing, oh boy, we need to do a lot of surgery here. Yeah. Like there's, there's like the, that gold rush phase where everyone says, oh, I'll go, I'll go in, I'll get, I'll get everything. And then it just starts to careen out of control. But that's yeah. sort of what's fun about all this stuff is that all these industries, all these movements we're covering are kind of a wild west right now. So there's, there's. Yeah, many happy mistakes to be made. Well, David and Lisa, uh, how can folks regularly connect with you on these here webs of inter? Well, our website is roomescapeartist.com. You can also email us at roomescapeartist at gmail.com. Find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, where we're most active. Um, but really... Yeah, feel free to reach out to us in any way that you see you see fit. You can also subscribe to us. We post daily. And now we're also publishing a Sunday industry roundup, which we actually kind of stole some uh, inspiration from you, Noah. Uh, that's, this has been oh, our know, way to we... highlight some of the more interesting things we've published that week, as well as point out interesting things from around the community. Well, it's it's really good that you're doing that and uh, are a big part of our ever-growing, everything-immersive community. So uh, thank you for, for doing that. David and Lisa, this will not be the last time we talk on the show, but uh, I'll check in with you guys soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Once again, I want to thank David and Lisa for dropping in on the show. Uh, we recorded that pretty late their time and... and what felt like really late, my time, just because it's been a really long day. Uh, there have been adventures lately. So many adventures. We'll get to some of those towards the back end of the show. But right now, we're going to head full steam into our interview with Kevin Williams. I want to apologize in advance. Oh, Noah, with your apologizing in advance. You know that uh, that never works, right? I want to apologize in advance uh, for two things. The first is that we recorded this outside at uh, the Los Angeles Hotel, the LA Hotel, which is like the, the, the big, I think it's the former Hilton downtown. I was trying to figure out who owned it. It's undergoing a renovation. Uh, big hotel in downtown LA. Uh, Kevin had been in town for Scare LA and had been giving a talk about uh, his his specialization, which is a location-based, out-of-home entertainment. Um, Kevin has been in that industry for a long time. Um, you know, if you if you were ever at uh, Disney Quest in uh, Orlando, you know he was actually headhunted by WDI to come in and head up that project for them back in the day. Um, so there are a few people who understand the location based entertainment industry and who have been with sort of the explosion of VR and it's in its many phases. So we're really lucky to have him on the show and we, we recorded this outside. And the first thing I wanted to, you know, apologize for is that, you know, we're outside. So there's some outside noise or some wind. 
Um, our voices are clear though, so you know. But you're just you're on location with us, so it's one of those. You're not indoors. The other thing I wanted to apologize for is that after we did uh, the interview, then we went back to uh, the bar inside the hotel and we talked for like another three hours. So um, <laughs> you can imagine that the conversation once we were off the record and at the bar and had known each other a little bit better uh, was is is even better than this one because this is this is pretty good this is pretty good but that one that was better so but there's a way if you want to have that experience now I can't promise you that if you go to Future of Immersive Leisure which is at Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas from September 13th and the 14th. Um, and you have the discount code of 20% off with no proscenium, right? Like we've been talking about that for a while. So I can't promise you that you're going to be able to be at the bar with Kevin. There's, there's going to be a lot of people there. So can't make you that guarantee. But you do have a shot. And if you get that shot, take it. Let's take the shot. See if you can hang out with the man. Because uh, it was a very enjoyable discussion. And uh, and I wish we were recording that one. On the other hand, there are plenty of things that we said that uh, can't be on tape. So, no, not those kind of things. The other kind of things. Whatever you were imagining, no, the other one. All right. With that in mind, I do hope you enjoy this sort of prequel to the really great conversation Kevin and I had. It is good. We wouldn't have had the other one if we didn't have this one. So, um, yeah, I'm going to stop talking now. Let's roll the tape. Kevin, we're here in Los Angeles. Uh, you just spoke at, I know, it's shocking. Uh, you've been traveling around the world. You just spoke at Scare LA uh, when we're talking. Um, we're going to get to your new conference, which is the future of immersive leisure. Uh, but what were you what were you telling everyone at Scare LA? Just out of curiosity, I know the the, lo- the hometown crowd will be curious. Well, Scare LA is uh, a conference that's really dedicated to the uh, haunted house scare attraction and the Halloween or uh, sector. And uh, VR or immersive entertainment has suddenly popped up as a, an opportunity, a technology that they can apply in their their mix, as it were. And we had four different VR experiences on the show floor this year. Now, you're you're a specialist uh, in virtual reality, and you've been doing this, you've been involved in that for a very long time, so just a little bit of background. Um, just t- could you talk about your work a, a little bit in the, in the broader sense for the audience who might not be familiar with you? We are, well, KWP is a consultancy that works in out-of-home entertainment, so we treat virtual reality as just one of the tools in our toolbox. Uh, there's immersive technology, but there's also mixed reality, uh, interactive digital projection, all of the good stuff. Um, and I come from a background both in the military simulation sector, but also in the uh, uh, video game, the arcade industry. And back in 2004, it was uh, decided to set up a consultancy that would uh, dedicate itself to that. Since that time, we've sort of seen a couple of eras of VR. There was a lot of stuff that was sort of bubbling under the surface. And then a few years ago, it kind of breached. And now we've got this, this, this market that's going in a couple of different directions. There's the consumer market, which there's a lot of anxiety around. But 
not as talked about is the the out of home stuff. The people use location based entertainment or just out of home in general. Um, what do you what do you see? Particularly, well, I guess the, the the heart of the question is why why are you holding a future of immersive leisure conference uh, that's focused on out of home and location based entertainment? Um, particularly since that's you know, and, and and there's so much VR stuff going in there. Like, why why is now the right time for that? We it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, digital out of home entertainment, which is the thing that. Uh, we try and push at KWP and through the writing is something that has only now really become visible. Uh, for most people, they wouldn't be aware of the outer home entertainment sector because they would have treated it as the arcade industry. The arcade industry happened back in the uh, 80s and the 90s, died a horrible, painful death because it was superseded by people playing at home with their consoles. Close, close case, nothing to see here. When in reality, the outer home entertainment digital application migrated. It moved from a big coffin-shaped box that uh, glowed in the corner and played asteroids and space invaders, and it uh, became a simulator. That simulator was Star Tours or um, Back to the Future. The The digital interactive technology migrated into a price point that works. And I've been championing, you know, my time at Walt Disney Imagineering, I was a a big advocate of uh, digital immersion, the usage of digital technology, based on the stuff that we'd seen in the simulation industry. We'd seen simulation training systems that could make you feel that you were in a jumbo jet landing in uh, stormy conditions. And that was with technology from the 80s and the, uh, the 90s. Now, we really can push people into uh, an immersive frontier. And I think it's perfect timing Virtual reality is the buzzword at the moment, but mixed reality is going to be the next buzzword. There is technology in the digital sector, partly funded by mobile phone technology, partly funded by military technology, partly funded by console gaming that will allow us to create a true immersive entertainment experience. There's a lot of roads that I could jump down uh, in there um, I'm, I'm really curious about how much how much is the military simulation stuff influence what's going on in the in the entertainment because you know those those who are like super nerds about this stuff know that there have long been like you know military VR simulators um, and, and all kinds of like elaborate games and scenarios that make laser tag look like jokes and I think in New York right now, there's there's a show called Ready that one of the guys, his job used to be coming up with those training scenarios, and now he's turned it into entertainment. So what, how much is the, the Venn diagram of that world and the entertainment world kind of overlapped? Interesting. Uh, so for your listeners, a little bit of uh, the background, most of what we see now are swords beaten into plowshares. It's a a common phrase from the uh, commercial simulation sector. And what we mean by simulation, VizSim, is the usage of uh, visual simulation to uh, help train, be it jumbo jet pilots, if there still are jumbo jet pilots, uh, to land their plane, or dismounted infantry to know which target to fire their Milan missile system at. That technology has moved from a television camera pointed at models 
the, how the tech used to work in the 70s to the early stumblings of computer graphics courtesy of Evers and Sutherland in the 60s and 70s to the fantastic immersive uh, display systems that you get to see now in uh, the noughties. Um, I work with a number of companies that have technology that they sell to DARPA and to the military uh, combines that now are being turned into entertainment systems. To give you a case in point from our history, Star Tours, very famous uh, Disney uh, attraction. Every uh, anyone that's uh, a Star Wars fan or has uh, been to uh, any of the big parks has been on the Star Wars attraction. You uh, line up in queue, C-3PO ushers you onto a uh, into a space capsule. You go for a flight around the universe uh, and crash back at uh, where you started off. That is. A jumbo jet simulator that has been reconfigured to uh, be used for, uh, as an entertainment system to move 60, 30 or 60 people around at the Disney park. Back to the Future, the ride, again a simulation company developed uh, that technology. Even the, uh, the new announcement about uh, the additions to space uh, at Epcot, um, Mission Space, all of that technology can trace its roots back to uh, military simulation technology that has been reconfigured for an entertainment application. And away from just the motion simulators, we're now using the latest projection technology and in some cases the latest tracking motion simulation technology for uh, virtual reality uh, coming from a military background. A lot of that's where we've been mm. and, and how we've got to where we are. Where are we going? There's been a lot of announcements in the past few weeks uh, in this space. You mentioned what's going on at space in mm. Epcot. Uh, when we were at the bar, we were talking, uh, speaking of Star Wars, we were talking about the Void being announced um, to now have the Star Wars IP um, and, and open up centers at the two Disney parks here in the United States. Is, is that where the future of, of the digital out-of-home is? Is it going to be like VR arcades or... Or is this far wider than what people kind of see? Like, sometimes it feels like we're so surrounded by this stuff that we don't realize it's happening. I, I'm a big fan of 3D projection mapping. Uh, we've seen some technology recently, which is used by law enforcement and uh, by the military, that uh, wraps you in a virtual environment where you don't need to put on head-mounted display or put on special 3D glasses. You are projected into an immersive environment that's my gut feeling as a specialist in the sector that's where I think it's going it's baby steps no one will give you the whole ball of wax to play with right from the beginning you have to prove that bums on seats you will have to prove that having a digital projector uh, uh, with an 8k uh, resolution system will generate its return on investment uh, no matter how whizzy the technology, if it doesn't generate a return on investment, you're out, out the door. And the same goes for the technology we're seeing. Um, you'll notice that Disney hasn't thrown in all of their, you know, they haven't put all of their money on black 
on red and said right we believe in virtual reality what they've said is we're still the jury's still out for our main attractions but we're prepared to do a deal with a company like the void to allow the periphery sites of our facility to have a virtual reality ex experience and that's why Disney, uh, downtown Disney and Disney Seas uh, will be uh, receiving uh, the first of the Void systems as a test, as an evaluation. The same with our friends at uh, Universal. They used uh, our friends at uh, VR Studios technology in their Halloween in a short-term, or I would call pop-up experience. The jury's still out. We're still trying to as I was saying at the conference uh, just a couple of hours ago, it's baby steps to get to the proper narrative. And for all I know, um, the head-mounted display approach may be superseded by the 3D projection immersive room application. How much of this stuff is going to involve performance, whether it's live or recorded or, you know, CG adapted? I mean, one of the, one of the things I loved watching with uh, the X-Lab was when they would have oh. someone standing off somewhere doing mocap to be either 3PO or a stormtrooper and then it was being rendered in real time and I was just like oh just give me that like just like give me yeah. actors to play with uh, and and given that the heart of this show is about the the, the live performance part of immersion and, and sometimes when we do this it's indulging in my nerdy tech no, side no, 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 no. where is is there a convergence point here are these things are these things destined for each other uh, well forgive my nerdism hell yeah <laughs> so I was having a conversation with a investor on a situation. <laughs> so they woke up one day and they read the news about the uh, Star Wars hotel. Oh yeah. That Disney's planning. Mm -hmm. And I had to educate this gentleman. Now let's see, how much do I charge for consultancy again? Mm -hmm. uh, well, anyway, send me a figurative bill, oh, sorry, uh, 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 invoice, and I'll, uh, I'll uh, demand payment for this. But uh, the story goes, back in the day, back in the 80s, Star Trek had this really clever idea, Paramount, of doing a deal with a Las Vegas hotel where you would turn up at the front door of the hotel, book a room, go up a special lift to your room, where your uniform would be waiting for you on your bed to your dimensions. You'd put your uniform on and you'd walk into a different lift, go down into the basement of the facility, and then suddenly you would enter a totally immersed environment. That idea was only partly uh, realized through the, uh, for those that uh, remember the long lamented and long parted uh, Star Wars uh, experience. Star Trek experience. Uh, sorry, Star Trek. I, I do <laughs> apologize. Yeah. There too many stars. Yeah. Uh, the Star Trek experience. And I used to hang out at Quark's Bar uh, in Vegas uh, at the then Hilton, which is no longer a Hilton. Uh, and funny enough, the ex, uh, the experience is still behind shuttered doors. The, yeah. All, all, all the size. I got a member of staff to show me around the remnants once. Oh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a little jealous there because uh, like it was it was shuttered when I went for like the NAB one uh, year. That was like the year after it closed. Any of the of your listeners that went to it regularly will remember the warp core breach drink that they used to do. One of the few. Uh, dry ice drinks that was quite palatable uh, and, and very dangerous but that that is a fun and you could you know anyone that's uh, earned their chops in immersive theater will just recognize what's being done here you are creating an environment where the actors are conveying the guest 
uh, or the patron through an experience and allowing them to live the dream. This is it. There's no digital screens here other than the ones representing the star field outside the window. There's no, um, you know, it, it's pure theatrics supported by technology. And so that was an idea that died a horrible and painful death for various reasons, not because it wasn't what people wanted, it's just they couldn't get the maths to work. The, right. A cast member that is able to stay in character even when a 21-year-old spills her drink down a Klingon's uh, vest and the Klingon still swears back at the person in proper Klingon compared to a member of staff that just shouts and obliterates it and uh, walks away is two different things and that's why we're all very interested to see how Disney's going to create that level of immersion but to go back to your point immersion has to be achieved with a human vector is that vector uh, a uh, a motion captured actor uh, a uh, an Andy uh, doing his famous gorilla or King Kong impersonation or Gollum uh, or is this actor a physical person in a costume at Scarecon dressed up as Freddy or uh, as the uh, the killer clown or is this actor someone in a Star Wars uniform Rebel Alliance or a Stormtrooper that's interesting you say the immersion needs a human factor so do, do other people, do the people who are coming to to foil in Vegas in September, do the others see it that way as well? Or is the, for them the human factor is the, the participant, the player, alone? So at the moment, the participant, the player, is the fundamental. So multiplayer game experience. You look at something like Zero Latency, the human factor in that is the other players that you're playing with. This isn't a solitary virtual reality experience it's a multiplayer room-based arena scale experience laser tag but in a virtual world and that's where the human uh, agency is and and to give your listeners an, an example of how that is uh, migrating esports mm. who would have thought 20 years ago that hundreds of thousands of people would uh, go into an auditorium to watch a bunch of people playing a game it's I know multiple people who listen to this show who work for some of the big esports companies here in Los Angeles, and I, I don't have the reaction time anymore. Uh, it's been a long time since I had StarCraft level skills. Uh, yeah. I believe it was StarCraft that I had those level skills. Isn't that a, a mentor of age, isn't it? That, that, <laughs> that is old father time tapping you on the shoulder and showing you you're not good enough to keep up at COD. Oh, but, I mean, you know... At 24, they start aging. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like I know. I know guys are like, well, if I stay in college, I'm going to be too old to play to play League of Legends. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it shows that it's a sport and an athlete yeah. because you do have a burnout. Yeah. It's it's very scary. I think uh, I want it, an elder PGA type tour for COD or oh, for Halo someone myself. will have to do yeah. that. You I want can't old, exclude an audience. No, I want the old man's league for Halo. I will I will sign up <laughs> in a heartbeat for that. So. Here we have the Veterans League. <laughs> <laughs> they may be slow, but that's why we set the server pings down. Yeah. No <laughs> alcohol, gentlemen, no alcohol. No medication, no Tylenol, no Tylenol. Yeah, but you, you're right. It's, uh, I, I've, um, let's see, I've been playing video games since the 70s. 
So I, uh, well, it's early 80s, so um, some of the early arcade machines was some of the stuff. And I, I was really happy that I could keep up with Pac-Man. I wasn't a, an expert at it like some of the players. And I've kept my hand in. I will play the games. I have to play the games. But it's interesting. I was playing an arcade game. Uh, new shooters come out um, from Sega. And I used to pride myself on how good I was in the shooting games. Uh, someone spanked me. Yeah. My, my, yeah and, and that sort of, hey, granddad, yeah, that hurts. I, I have my eye on a couple of... Well, that's the thing. Well this, well, this is interesting. Like The, the multiplayer experience, and for, for out of home, pushing people through the turnstiles, whether we're talking about oh. a... Uh, a theme park or we're talking about uh, a family fun center yeah getting people through is in, is important and and yet at the same time when you get depth of immersion whether we're talking about a single player video game or one of these you know um, solitary haunt type experiences that are, are very popular th- there seems to be a tension between depth and audience size and sometimes I wonder if the technology can, if technological solutions can help us with that let, in any way, shape, or form. Let, let me make it, uh, we, we have to define, uh, I'm sorry to be nerdish or you know, technologist, but uh, we have to break it down into the three components. A theme park has three approaches to an entertainment, an entertainment facility has three approaches. And those three approaches are passive. Mom, dad, guardian, the kids, various ages, go in together and experience a ride, a Star Tours, a a Harry Potter, uh, or a a Back to the Future. That is a passive experience. They have no control over the outcome or the narrative. They're just there. They're they're at the back of the bus. They're there for the ride. Be that um, uh, the latest thing that we have with uh, the Avatar uh, flying ride experience or the soaring kind of ride you're just sitting there going wow and ooh and ah as the, the ride vehicle takes you through the experience passive interactive you can do the men in black approach where you, you know everybody sits in the same ride vehicle and they're shooting at the screen or they're shooting at the prop set and they're generating score but at the end of the day they start at one place and they end at another place and they have no control over the outcome no real agency. No real agency. And then we have agency, interaction, uh, engagement, and that's the fun stuff. For me, I didn't uh, enter into this industry to be a bus driver. I wanted to create uh, individual experiences. I, I see my uh, the technology that I'm trying to work towards, and I'm, I still haven't got there yet. We're, we're, as soon as I saw what little aside uh, I used to when I worked for a military simulation company that was breaking into the entertainment sector I had a pass that allowed me to use the military simulation as well as to use the uh, the commercial or the uh, entertainment systems we were developing for the theme parks and I love to sneak in and steal time on the motion you know the jumbo jet simulators learning uh, basics of how to crash the thing in various ways around the world was brilliant and that and that was fun and that and that told me that god if we could make this with the throughput throughput being the number of bums on seats it needs to go through this ride to make it profitable then this was going to be the future you know just think of a star tours where you're not just sitting uh, a, a rider watching C-3PO mess up the uh, the flight but you actually get to play with some buttons shoot at some I mean that's 
isn't that what they're pro- that's what they're promising us with Star Wars Land? Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, this is what they're promising. You know, we'll see if they do it. Uh, I, uh, (laughs) as an ex-imagineer, I know they're working very hard to come up with the best of both worlds. Yeah. Because not only is little Johnny, or little Jess, going to be playing this, who's a fantastic Twitch player, has got a fantastic um, COD score, and uh, can shoot uh, the wings off of a fly using their M16 with silent bullpump mode. No, uh, you've also got to deal with uh, their parents, who also want to have some experience yeah. uh, out of this. So well, we're Her- at that transition point. Yeah. Well, Her- Harrison Ford can still crash a plane on any given surface, and you know he's in his 70s. Yeah. So, any you golf know. course near you. Yep. Uh. <laughs> well, it was interesting. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw the video that The Void uh, did. Uh, Harrison Ford went round The Void when they were doing a demonstration and was totally engaged, same as Steven Spielberg. So the, the, the actors and the directors are beginning to see the transitional agency, and that leads us a little bit towards what our friends at IMAX are doing with the IMAX VR, where they're dropping you into the film experience. IP is king at the moment. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, this is the thing that's sort of, whether it's in-home or out-of-home, like, this is a question, this will probably, this may air before, may, or may air right before, but I was talking with uh, Christian Diekman um, just yesterday, and, uh, and and when he was at Cedar, he worked on uh, the, the Mass Effect thing that's up at, at Great America. EA. And, and, yeah, the, the EA um, property. And... Uh, that was one of the questions I posed. Like, how important is having the IP to attract people into this stuff? Because like, just it's drop- the hook. It's the yeah. hook. That's why uh, so many uh, prequel sequels and mequels are turning up at the moment. Uh, it's it's easier to say to someone, "This is Star Wars ish. This is uh, Blade Runner ish. This is Mummy ish." Uh, to get them on board rather than saying this is a brand new um, space experience and it's impossible for us to link it to anything you, you're not going to get uh, the, the funding if you say this uh, 4D ride experience is based on a million selling multi-million selling uh, IP video game narrative you, you, you've got a hook Yeah, I keep on thinking about the early days of console gaming mm-hmm. and I mean you know, Donkey Kong and Ms. Pac-Man were stars by that point, so and and they were the homegrown stars of Mario. But I can mm. still remember you know, part of the thing that could justify the purchase of NES was like, well, there's a Ninja Turtle game on it, there's Batman on it. Like, I need I need to get my Batman and my Ninja Turtle games, yes. and, and most of those were like terrible compared to the the original content. But, but it was the hook. It was the hook. But the thing I, I'm I'm loving at the moment is uh, Nintendo. Um, has just signed some very important deals with uh, Universal, where there is, uh, in Japan, there will be a Nintendo uh, area uh, to the park. And that is not just going to be in Japan. Once they've uh, nailed down what works and what doesn't work from that approach, that will be going everywhere. So I I would not be surprised that there will be an Assassin's Creed area of a park. I, I I, I will bet serious money that there will be video game IP that's interactive that will be dropped into the park and that will be used as the the shoe-in, the hook towards a more engaging, more uh, uh, actionable uh, entertainment experience. It makes more sense than a movie for something like Assassin's Creed. Like to be able to like run around like a small portion of like, you know, mm. Ven- you know Venice or Florence yeah. and you know, something that gave you this feeling of you know dropping off the top of a of a tower and diving into a bunch of hay. 
Like, let, I'd, I'd do that. Let me proffer a, 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 let's see, a, a vision of the future. You go to a facility that used to be a Macy's that has now been totally redeveloped into a multi-floor entertainment facility. You go through the front door and that facility is based on a property, on a game. You go into the loading area and it is the control deck, the flight bridge of the vessel. You're briefed. Certain people who want to play the, uh, the flight control team go off to one area and get educated on how to be controllers of the flight area. The people who want to fly the, the spaceships or the fighters go to another area. And the people who just want to watch their, the people they've come with battle go to the bridge area where they sit, have their drinks, and they can watch the star battle on the, on the, big, on the big screens. That was done back in the 90s with Virtual Worlds Entertainment and Battletech. Mm. for a very small scale using technology that uh, would make my mobile phone laugh at the quality of the graphics. Now we're getting to the stage where that could be re-envisioned again. Uh, and you know, please look up at the videos on uh, uh, virtual worlds entertainment centers and on uh, uh, Battletech centers and just see what our future of immersive entertainment will be. And think about this, this isn't a one-hit wonder. You go there with a membership card you, and you progress through. You start off as a rookie and soon you'll be wandering around wearing all the merchandising, the flight suits and boasting about your kills and even uh, Instagramming uh, your, uh, your last star battle. That is a immersive, engaging future and that is partly fueled by social media Partly social, uh, partly fueled by social inclusion, you know, interactivity, uh, e-sports kind of experiences, and also partly funded what we were saying earlier by the engagement of social inclusion with live human beings. Well, let me ask this: you know, because we had inklings of this before, what makes it different now? It's like we had, we, I mean, granted, we had VR before and it was terrible yeah, yeah, in the nineties. Bumps um, on your head, Tom. Yeah, exactly. But why? What? What makes it possible for it to work now, where it couldn't, where it didn't manage to work before? We know the language better. The technology is improved. Thank, thank you, mobile phones. Thank you, internet. Thank you, AI. Thank you, latest processing power. We have better performance uh, com the computing. The engagement of the game and the ability to build immersive, engaging worlds. The, the work that uh, the guys in Chicago did with Virtual Worlds Entertainment was amazing on the technology they had available. And that was, again, swords into plowshares. That was the tank simulator approach beaten into a game experience. Battletech was fundamentally the uh, Abrams tank simulator from uh, Fort Knox turned into an entertainment package. Wow. Well, then I, I think you, know, you hit this as one of the bullet points at the beginning of this section. Uh, the esports probably plays a big part of this too, because there there wasn't there wasn't esports before. Like in some ways, those first BattleTech centers were the closest we had to the beginning of esports. Oh. Other than like you know people playing Donkey Kong professionally. One of the slides in uh, one of the presentations I do when I'm talking about uh, esports, and there's a there's a sector we need to touch upon, uh, which I'll try and drive 
badly to <laughs> uh, in this uh, uh, description. But Take the wheel. Uh, yeah. So back in the 70s, you used to have tournaments of people playing Puck Man, where they, mm. or uh, I remember there used to be the Galaxian tournaments where you know everybody had their own uh, cabinet in front of them, and whoever got the high score at the end of it won the big cardboard check. I think in the, in the 80s there was uh, a television show called Starcade, oh, where of course, people, yes. which I think is actually making a comeback. I think someone they're like doing a redo of Starcade. Yeah, that's going to be a hard reboot. That yeah. one. but yes, it, it's the same approach. Uh, a couple of years ago, I would have said I would have had nothing to do with the casino industry mm. and what the casino industry is I, I presented a couple of months ago at one of the large uh, casino technology conferences in San Diego and at this conference they turned around and they made it clear that the Millennials don't like playing blackjack the Millennials don't like roulette the Millennials don't like slot machines it's an awful generalization but from their point of view they're seeing a major drop-off where 60% of the revenue that a casino makes nowadays is not on the tables, it's not on the floor, it's made off of the hospitality, off the entertainment, off of the nightclub. Mm. That's where the money's. And they're now talking about ripping out the sports bars at a number of the major casinos already happening and turning these into e-sports arenas or into game arenas. And part of that comes along with the idea of skill gaming and I don't know how familiar you are with uh, skill gaming skill gaming beyond the MMO competitive MMOs like League of Legends or we're talking something different oh uh, we're talking about uh, machines that look walk talk and quack like an arcade machine but have a monetary payout for your skill oh not not at all really so there are a number of companies gamco and gamblets that are developers of video games that are packaged in machines that go into uh, casino environments and depending on your skill your driving skill your shooting skill your playing skill you can walk away with money um, uh, monetary rewards so kind of kind of like getting to like a dave and busters but instead of tickets actual cash correct Oh. Or, or virtual cash that can be ter- uh, turned at the end of the uh, experience into some monetary reward. Oh, wow. And they had to go, uh, and the gaming industry internationally has had to get legislation recut to allow them to do this. And this is the skill gaming bills that have. Nevada was the first uh, to actually get uh, legislation that allows them to run these type of machines. Macau's getting it done, Europe's getting it done. And now with the uh, changes in Japan, the law to allow them to have casinos, you'll be seeing those machines. So you have companies like Konami, Sega and Taito, names from the amusement industry that are now applying themselves towards skill gaming. Well, Sonic Spin Dash Cash Out. So that, that uh, converted Macy's that I described earlier, the people are walking out with merch, which they may have won makes sense so that lovely I have this mental picture of sort of all of these kids wanting to be the rebel alliance wearing these lovely leather jackets with all the patches down the side that is an example of how well you know you're not going to be able to go into the merch store and buy that you're going to have to have actually achieved that patches that you earn yeah and virtual as well so the ship 
when I go into the simulator I swipe my card and I don't start up with the basic runaround ship I have quite a flashy ship with the latest missile systems on it because I've reached that level of skill this takes skins to a, a whole new level and it's only something that I think you'll find that the outer home sector can do effectively because really the consumer approach of this isn't uh, tangible enough it isn't you know we could be creating a brand new kind of cinema experience where you come away with something from your immersion into the IP well I, th I think of something like you know all right so I've got my I've got my ship I've, I've got it tricked out I've got it designed you know and if I want to get a copy of it physical one and get a toy you know, 3D either, rendered. Yeah, at, at the space. Or Just, take it another stage, uh, running around uh, playing, so we say, zero latencies uh, zombie survival shooter. Um, maybe if you start adding things to your weapon, uh, the physical weapon that you wield in the game will be 3D rendered. Yeah. So you will physically feel that you have the extra sight on the weapon and it will be represented in the virtual world and maybe you like a, a, a bowler or a, a pool player you turn up at the facility with your your box your briefcase and you open your briefcase and all the kids around you go wow as you whip out the star shooter 1000 system okay. we mentioned the gaming industry meaning, meaning the gambling industry of course um the conference is in vegas is is that one of the reasons why or just vegas is where everyone has conferences like we have a number of uh, presenters at uh, Foils in September that come from the casino sector. We have a number of presenters from the theme park industry. And we have a number of new companies that are starting up what we call location-based entertainment facilities. And a lot of that uh, mentality is being employed in their future aspirations. What's your hope for Foil? people turn up <laughs> well yeah but like beyond beyond that <laughs> that we can nail down a perception of where digital out of home entertainment doe actually goes we're at a transition now um for most theme park attractions media attractions most of the developers of those in the theme park business are guys that used to work on the physical roller coasters or on the the passive ride experiences and now they're being pulled kicking and screaming into the future mm. and the future hopefully will be the type of systems that I'm imploring and to see Disney now talking about full immersive hotels and for interactive game experiences to see Six Flags populate multiple roller coasters with VR components hopefully shows us that we're heading in that direction I feel like a guy walking into a minefield. Uh, uh, hopefully, we're going to come up with a map that avoids most of the mines and leads us to a future which is interactive and engaging and repeat. Repeat visitation is essential. You don't just go once and go, that was nice, and never go again. You go again and again and again. That's the hope. Kevin, thank you for taking the time to talk with me tonight. No, no, thank you. Once again, I want to thank Kevin Williams 
for being our guest on the show. Indeed, Future of Immersive Leisure is at Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, September 13th and 14th. Like I mentioned before, there is a discount code for NoPro listeners. That's 20% off with the code NoProsinium. This conference, uh, it is... it. It has a lot of folks from the immersive leisure industry. You know, I'm just scrolling through the website right now because I can. So we've got folks from, you know, Dave and & Busters and HTC and, uh, you know, Andrew Darrow of The Void's going to be there. There's um, wowzers. Uh, we've got folks from just all over the place come into this thing. The NFL experience in Times Square people are going to be there. Um, Christian Diekman, who uh, who we had on the show the other week, who's also a great guy, he's going to be there. Oh, Eric Gradman of Two Bit Circus. Hi, Eric. I feel like I feel like I've turned into romper room here. Uh, so there's there's going to be a lot of folks. Oh, Jim Stewartson of Awesome Rocket Ship. Uh, hey, Jim, we're supposed to try and get Jim on the show, and we just we keep on um, dancing around each other in terms of our schedules. And I really want that to happen, and hopefully it'll happen before, before it runs runs up. Um, mental note. Get Jim on the show. Fight on that point. So there's there's a lot of a lot of great people who are going to be at this conference. It's the first one, so get in on the ground floor. Um, and uh, I wish my work schedule allowed me to jump out and go. Um, so that's the one downside. Like you will not see me there, unfortunately. Um, but next year, next year, we're going to make that happen. Next year, we need to. Um, this is the part of the show that belongs to me, 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 me. <laughs> wow. The coffee really is working. Um, there's a couple of things I want to talk to you about. Um, nothing, nothing's too heavy this week. Um, though in, in Los Angeles, we had just a boatload of shows get announced and tickets go on sale in the same heartbeat. Uh, kind of like this, like the sudden, sudden squall of shows showed up, uh, pretty much, uh, unannounced i was taken uh off guard um so there's that um most of them are already sold out so like meh. um it's 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 a unique kind of frustration particularly because over at everything immersive people will be like well hey i'm coming into town and it's like yeah no i wish you had said that two days ago um because that hurts because we want to expand so um let me send a message out there to folks if particularly if 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 you're the kind of person who's been enjoying like going to see shows twice um uh make room <laughs> make some room make some room for other people uh this is a finite supply man um and uh and we need to share so uh don't do, you know I, I hear tales of some folks like going like i got like five tickets to this thing it's like don't don't hoard if you're buying them for your friends and you know that they're gonna go, that's fine. You know, get in there. You know, make sure you're sharing. Just you know, like we want to expand. We want to grow the scene. And there's a lot of really great work happening in Los Angeles, and we want other people, want new people to experience and get excited about it, so that we can get the shows up to runs where it's not gonna be a problem to have tickets. That being said. There's definitely been a lot of great work happening recently in another room. I absolutely adored uh, Wicking La La. Oh God, I'm I'm not gonna try. I'm gonna butcher it because I keep on reading it and not hearing it. I don't have enough people saying the name, but you know which one I'm talking about. It's down in San Diego. I just wrote a review about it. Uh, maybe not. Maybe one of one of the best shows I've seen in a long time, and just did some really really innovative stuff. Just the way they framed that piece. 
last night, and I'm in the middle of writing a review of this right now, so maybe the review will come out later today. Last night, uh, I got to see Annie Lesser's Distillery, which is the fourth part of the ABC project. Probably the most personal work, definitely the most personal work of Annie's so far. And that was really um, uh, amazing to experience. And maybe one of the most personal, immersive pieces I've seen yet. And she also like qualified it as being like, oh, like, don't, this isn't all that immersive and it's not interactive and yada, yada. And like, um, she shouldn't have qualified it. Like, it may be in uh, a storytelling experiment, but it is still very much in the discussion. It's very much immersive. There's, there's contact. There was one point where, um, so one girl get like really uncomfortable uh, for a minute there um, because of because of a thing, and I think I'm gonna write about it a little bit. Uh, so uh, and and it's not you know it's not a horror show or anything like that. Uh, it just goes to some emotionally uncomfortable places, and some of that's uh, physicalized, uh, as these things are. Really great cast, um, and I think it's it's just like it's this week, and then uh, it's in the ether. Although uh, that piece, I imagine if they get, um, if the owner of that distillery feels like allowing them to do it again, uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get to see distillery pop up again next week, uh, elevator, the fifth part. So Annie suddenly is like, boom, in full motion there. Um, So yeah, busy time, which is great. There's a whole bunch of work out here. There's a whole bunch of work in New York City that's going on. Zay's been super busy. Uh, the No Pro crew is is spinning up in New York. Um, we're spinning up some folks here to help me with the workload. Um, if you want to write for No Persinium and you're you're willing to deal with you know your payment is a cocktail uh, because like you know from the start of the show ain't no money in this. Um, hit me up. I think people think that I don't want help. <laughs> Yeah, no, we need, like, we're a pirate army, like, we're, we don't even have boats, right? So we need, we need help. We need help running this, this machine. And everyone who works on it is really cool. And uh, they're also, everyone who works on it is, like, also really busy. Like, we're all, like, professional writers and junk and running around. So everyone who pitches in, I always love. And if you just want to drop in for a moment, do something, got some weird essay you want to talk to me about, that's fantastic. Uh, we're definitely looking for more organizational help. Oh, and here's the other, here's just, yeah, two more things. Uh, this, this, this is a whole bunch of stuff. This is notes, 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 notes all over the place. Um, Leia, um, we're going to, we're drafting like a formal, semi-formal announcement soon. But Leia, which is the League of Experiential and Immersive Artists, we had our our first official event uh, this past Tuesday. We had a dinner at Chloe's at Golden Road. Uh, for those of you who've been to Speakeasy Society shows, whether Ebenezer or or The Hollow, yes, there, um, and it was great because we had a we had a bi coastal contingent of folks out. Uh, we also had uh, Ben Johnson of uh, LA's Department of Cultural Affairs popped in. Uh, to, to talk with us uh, about this permitting meeting that we had. If you don't know what Leia is, I just started talking like you know. Um, for the past couple of years, uh, the creators of a lot of the immersive shows that you love uh, have been uh, sort of meeting behind the scenes. We've been organizing uh, kind of out of the spotlight in order to kind of, um, you know, help them form a community amongst themselves, uh, a community of support, 
a community of you know critical discourse and uh, a community that can work on some of the the larger tasks we have as a creative community. Um, I've been stitching that together, and at Hollywood Fringe this year on a panel. Uh, you know, one of the person in the audience, and a really old friend of mine, said like, oh, "Why don't you guys have something like you know, LA Stage Alliance? Um, there are equivalents in New York, um, uh, like the Off Broadway League. I think probably got that name wrong. Um, things of that nature. And uh, we sort of was like, well, we kind of got one, sort of. It's you know, it's not official. It was really ad hoc. Um, but that became clear that at that moment, um, we needed to." Um, go from being an ad hoc kind of cocktail club into being, um, you know, a consortium, um, um, an interest group, in part because there's lobbying that needs to be done with um, the city of Los Angeles and other municipalities, Um, and in part because there are these infrastructure issues around this emerging field that, uh, and, and, and not just the theatrical side, but into the virtual reality side and into the escape room side, and that together as 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 a multifaceted community we can you know solve some problems that everyone's facing a lot easier than if we're tackling them on our own and you know the stories i get and talk to folks about about the challenges they face on producing there are some things that just shouldn't be happening and there are sacrifices that people are making that um you know need to be honored in the making sure it never happens again fashion. And that is what Leia is for. So we are, um, we have our mission statement and, um, that's public. So I'm just gonna read it now. You know, Leia seeks to advance the immersive and experiential arts through collaboration, education, and advocacy on behalf of creators and producers. So that's the point of Leia. How we're doing that, um, is, you know, we're working on, figuring out exactly what kind of nonprofit organization we we need to be to do the things we need to do legally. Uh, And we're going to be offering uh, a lot of services to creators. Uh, When we start out, the the membership is going to be focused on artists. Um, So from actors, directors, writers, escape room owners, uh, virtual reality producers, all of all of that work. Um, folks who are enthusiasts, who are fans of the material and who want to get involved, there will be a space for you at the table. We're, we're figuring it out. If you're familiar with the Magic Castle, you're, 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 you're probably sniffing in the right direction, right? Like it's, there's going to be similar things there in terms of how the Academy of Magical Arts is organized. Um, because le- the purpose of Leia at the end of the day is to serve the creative community. So you want to think like, you know, the PGA, the Academy, that kind of deal. Um, this, this is that. Our brief right now is for Southern California because that's where the bulk of our um, members are. Members will be. No one's formally a member yet. Um, does that mean that if you're outside of the region and you want to, you know, be a fellow traveler in this thing or you're like, oh, hey, we'd love to organize that there? Yeah, like that's that's on the roadmap without a doubt. We just want to get our act together here first. Um, I like to build things brick by brick, um, mostly because I used to be the kind of person who liked to charge in and like lay down a bunch of crazy plans and be like, wait, here we go. And then, you know, watch them fizzle out. So instead, I built this no proscenium thing very slowly 
and it's managed to take over my life. So I guess that's the way to do it. So we're going to keep doing it that way. I make it always sound like depressing. It's like, well, this is how it goes. Blah. Yeah. I, I wish I could just imagine things that haven't happened. Um, it takes work. Blah. It takes work. I should have made cars. No, there, actually, there are days I wish I knew how to make a car. That'd be rad. All right. I got, I got one more thing for you. It's a little tease. We'll talk about it more later. Uh, but if you go on Everything Immersive uh, today, you're going to see the link for it. So um, my buddy Steve Boyle and his friend Gabe Smirgen, um, who respectively are Epic Immersive and Adventure Design Group, uh, we've been talking for a while about having a little summit up in San Francisco uh, for creators. And uh, we've been banding back and forth about dates and you know, trying to line up some really interesting guests. And we just had enough things click into place that we are happy to announce that the Immersive Design Summit for 2018 is going to be happening in San Francisco on January 6th at, um, at a location which I don't think we've announced yet and will announce, but it's a pretty freaking cool location. This is going to be a really intimate affair. Um, there's there's only going to be a low three digits worth of tickets because of the nature of the space and because of the nature of the event we're, we're looking to, to pull off here. Um, we are actively recruiting uh, and in talks with some really nifty folks to come out and talk. Um, so there will be there'll be a heavy West Coast presence, but it won't be limited to the West Coast. Um, we're, we're thinking on a much bigger scale than that. And, uh, you know, much like our friends over at foil, this could be the start of something, you know, on, on the regular, uh, we definitely hope it will be right now. The only thing to do, the only thing you can do in regards to this is if you go to the website, which is immersivedesignsummit.com and you put in your email address in the little box and hit sign up then uh bada bing you are on the mailing list and we will mail you and tell you haha uh this is this is uh you know what is going on this is when it's happening this is how much it's going to cost and this is what it involves so january 6th san francisco immersive design summit um don't let that stop you from going to any of the other wonderful things that are on the calendar because foil in September, Fostfest out in New York in October, Indiecade here in the Southland here in Los Angeles in October, which, you know, I'm, I'm working on night games, um, without walls festival, uh, in San Diego, um, uh, cloak and daggers got their music event festival, which is going to have some immersive elements uh, in it. And, um, I'm getting excited, really excited. The venues for that are amazing. Um, that's happening in October as well. I'm going to be like bouncing back and forth between cloak and dagger and without walls. I'm going to drive myself nuts that weekend. Um, it's a really exciting time. So there's we've got the fall to get through. It's spooky season right here in Los Angeles. Uh, in New York, there's there's going to be like a flood of shows coming. Um, shouldn't have said flood. Sorry. I've got weather on my mind. So I've tried really hard not to say that word. And boom, there it came. Um, like I've, I've got I've got I've got the hurricane on my mind. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, uh, 
then then you know, our thing's all the way in January. So just put your email in. We're not competing with anybody. It's too small a community to com- compete with. And that's not the only big announcement we'll have uh, this year. All right. This is a soft dismount for a really charged up show. But uh, yeah, mark your calendars, people, is what I'm saying. Because um, we got ourselves a thing. We got ourselves a thing. That's the end of the show. Uh, here's how to find everything as per usual. Uh, first step, uh, remember, if you want to check out uh, FOIL, if you want to check out the Future of Immersive Leisure, the website for that is futureofimmersiveleisure.com. That's the best way to follow up on the FOIL, uh, FOIL conference. Um, and if you're on the if you're on the the themed entertainment and on the, the uh, VR and the arcade side of our world, um, it's it's a really good place for you. So if you're creative on that end, like this one goes out to you. On um, and and there's plans for, you know in the future to like bring even more of our our, our weirdness to it. On um, if you want to get in touch with us on the regular, nopersinium.com is uh, you know the hub of all we do at nopersinium on Twitter, where we are uh, nopersinium no underscore persinium on uh, Instagram. I can't remember right now. Uh, I'm slack with the Insta on that. I'm not slack with my personal Insta. It's my favorite thing. But it was like, oh man, I gotta stop taking food and squirrel pictures and like go do no pro. So I'm not, I'm not so good at it. Um, Facebook, uh, we're on the Facebook, uh, throw us a like that always helps. Uh, the algorithm loves likes. So I should probably beg, please, please like us on Facebook. Oh my God. Like us on Facebook. Oh, we need it. Uh, so there, that part's done. Um, everything immersive is the group on Facebook, uh, which, uh, if you're not on like what's wrong with you, oh, you don't like Facebook. That's fine. I don't like it either. Um, <laughs> I just have to use it for everything. Um, I just go where the people are. Um, uh, I used to like Twitter. Don't like that anymore. Um, who can like anything electronic? That's why we do this stuff. Um, if you have a pitch for us, pitch at nopersinium.com, particularly if you've got a show that you want to tell us about, uh, if you've got a story you want to write up, um, that's how to get a hold of us there. That goes out to the editorial staff. Uh, if you want to write me directly, if you want to get my attention, it's Noah at nopersinium.com. Um, yeah. Uh, that's all the different ways to reach us. You're not even listening anymore. I could probably just start playing Nine Inch Nails albums and turn the next two hours into a radio show, except, oh boy, I gotta go to work. So, until next time, I'll see you at the show.